There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On Commons People this week, Britain approves the vaccine. The office will tell you it's true, that I was quite emotional this morning. But we're still in tears. But we must all accept that these are fundamental freedoms of our constituents. And Labour's Brexit problem returns. You know, with goodwill, uh, with time put into it, that we can get to a point where there is a deal uh, that we can look at supporting. But the onus is on the government now to make sure that a deal is presented before the end of the transition period. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hi Paul and we've got Labour's Shadow Business Minister Lucy Powell. Hello. Hi Lucy, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah and you're in tier three Manchester at the moment. How is it? Yeah we're in perpetual lockdown in Manchester. I haven't been able to see anyone for a long long time or really do anything very fun. Um, Yeah so we're, we're, we're kind of Enjoying small mercies, I suppose. We get a bit of retail therapy in this weekend. Yeah, it's my, nice. It's, it's my daughter's birthday on uh, Monday. So, you know, it's kids' birthdays just rubbish, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was finally some cause for hope, at least this week, as the UK became the first country in the West to approve a coronavirus vaccine. People will start getting the 95% effective Pfizer-BioNTech jab from as early as next week but it will still take some months for the entire vulnerable population to be vaccinated. Meanwhile, nearly 99% of England was placed into tough two and three tier restrictions as the four-week lockdown ended, sparking a rebellion of 55 Tory MPs. Deputy Chief Medical Officer Jonathan Van Tam insisted the tiers must be followed despite the arrival of a vaccine. Let's hear him. For now, the other measures, the tier measures, the social distancing have to stay in place. If we relax too soon, if we just kind of go, oh, the vaccine's here, let's abandon caution, all you're going to do is create a tidal wave of infections and this vaccine's then got to work in a headwind to get back ahead of the game and that will make it harder. And then the final point is that, look, you know, everyone wants social distancing to come to an end. We're fed up with it. Nobody wants lockdowns and to see the damage they do. But if you want that dream to come true as quickly as it can come true, then you have to take the vaccine when it's offered to you. Low uptake will almost certainly make restrictions last longer. And finally, please stick to the guidance until we say it is safe to stop. Uh, Paul. Was Boris Johnson slightly saved by the vaccine news this week? I think he was lucky in the sense that it came hard on the heels of uh, that big rebellion by his Tory MPs. Um, If it had come next week, then we'd still be talking, I think, about um, 
the unrest in the Tory ranks. But then again, that, he hasn't gone away. I mean, he won the vote thanks to Labour abstaining, um, but he certainly uh, looked uncomfortable. I mean, you know, he was pleading in the lobby personally with people who was who then voted against him. Um, and I think that Van Tam point is interesting, which is that, you know, the arrival of the vaccine doesn't mean any any let up in the tears. In fact, actually, it means that um, if you stick with the tears, then you might well, you, you know, you've got light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's the message of the, of the scientists and of the government. Um, it's a tricky one because... Um, as Lucy's just been saying, you know, there's large amounts of the country are now going to join Greater Manchester in, in enduring what it's endured for many months. And I've got family up there. You know, the, the fact that you can't have household mixing is a big, big deal. You know, I think it's only when London finally realised it was in a tougher tier two that actually the, 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 point, the point landed home. You know, this is people have been living like this for a long time. Um, and I think... That's why the vaccine matters, because it does offer people at least some hope to get through the winter and through Christmas. Yeah, Lucy, um, as, as we've said, Manchester's been in, in tier three for absolutely ages and it's been made tougher as well. Um, we've seen the priority list for the first phase of vaccinations and it's clear the whole population won't be vaccinated anytime soon. But at what point do you think we can start lifting restrictions? What, how many of those priority groups do we think we need to vaccinate all of them or, or kind of the, the vast proportion of them before we start lifting restrictions or how do you see this going over the coming months yeah i mean predict, sure. it is yeah i mean i think obviously we'll, we'll need to to i mean it's very welcome use of vaccination and hopefully they'll the oxford one will be will be not far behind it because obviously that's going to be a lot easier to to do community vaccination because it doesn't have to be kept at such cold temperatures. My husband's a, an A&E doctor up here, um, obviously, and, and you know they're, they're being told they, they'll probably be vaccinated next week or the week after. So you know, hospital staff and those in hospitals, I think with the, um, the BioNTech, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vac vaccine will be done pretty quickly. But I guess, I, I, you know, I, I hear this sort of, maybe it's people don't quite get the sort of science of it, but, but really we don't, we don't need to get to, herd immunity for the for the restrictions to be lifted what we need to get to is that those at most at risk from getting um, severely ill with uh, coronavirus or indeed dying from it are protected um, uh, because I'm not isolating or not seeing my um, family members and friends who are, are clinically vulnerable and so on for, for myself uh, you know I'm, I'm doing it for, for them so I think that's that's the point at what point that is I mean hopefully that will come a bit sooner than maybe we're we're, we're we're worrying about maybe end of February or something. Yeah, and 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 loose that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, should areas in the toughest tiers, do you think, get the vaccine first? I know Boris Johnson has, has ruled this out, but areas like Manchester are suffering the worst economic damage. Do you think there could be some local kind of allocation of of the vaccine to to recognise that? I mean, po possibly. Um, I mean, I think I think the vaccination process and and, and rolling it out won't be dependent on those issues really it'll be a case of like how quickly can you not just get hold of the vaccine but I think I think that will be fairly okay but how quickly can you actually uh, vaccinate those populations um, and and so and obviously areas have capacity to do that you can't really move that capacity around areas particularly you can't have the army vaccinating people I mean the army can test people but they can't vaccinate people you need health professionals to do that so I'm not sure about that. I mean, as I say, I think the important thing is, is that we protect the most vulnerable 
we protect those in care homes, we protect those uh, over 70 and the clinically um, isolating and um, shielding people, uh, you know, and then, and then I think we start to have a conversation. And at the same time, you know, infection rates are now coming down. So if people sort of stick with this over the next month or so, I think coming out of Christmas is going to be a really important phase. Uh, and I think if we're, if we're still on a fairly good sort of downward trajectory or levelling off trajectory coming out of Christmas, you know, then I, th- I think we can probably start looking at things then. Yeah, uh, Paul, in the vote, but... Uh, Boris Johnson only got the tears through the Commons with a minority of MP support. Does that matter? And and obviously that was because Keir Starmer decided Labour would abstain. So does it matter that Boris Johnson only got minority support as of a minority of MPs in the Commons? And why do you think Starmer chose to abstain? Obviously, Lucy can fill us in on that as well. Yeah, well, um, oh, at the end of the day, a win's a win. So, you know, I, I don't think it really matters. He only got it through on a minority vote. So I don't think that the public will sort of go away thinking oh well this doesn't have parliament's backing um to be honest uh, i think in many ways it was quite a canny move by keir starmer to abstain because it did expose the tory rebellion as being the main story um you know if labor had voted then would we all, all have gone on so much about the conservative rebellion I, I don't think we would um so i can see why he did it but equally i can see why he certainly didn't vote against because you know if you there were a few Labour MPs who did vote against, but if Labour had been seen to vote against the regulations, then effectively the regulations would have fallen. And um, then he would have faced the charge that, well, you're leaving the country completely without any cover. And I think that that was the argument used by people around Starmer for this particular abstention, which was that we want to act in national interest. So we want to register a protest, so to speak, um, about the lack of sick pay and other other things that the government haven't done to get a bid bridge to the to the spring when this vaccine arrives. So they were trying to make an economic point, but um, at the same time expose Tory divisions. I can see why they did that. And also, you know, I'm not sure the public are fully aware of the minutiae that this is a straight up and down vote. You know, if you don't vote for these regulations, then they don't exist um, and nothing would replace them. You can't amend these regulations. They're not amendable. Um, and, and so, I mean, I talked to one Labour MP who did vote against this week and they said, well, actually, we could have voted them down. Then the government would have to do an emergency um, uh, motion where it would have brought in some emergency regulations as a holding pattern. And then we could have pushed them even further on on extending more economic support uh, yeah you could have done that but i suppose for like 24 hours it would have looked a bit half-assed to be frank um and i'm not sure keir starmer wants to be in that position yeah lucy do you think there's an element of labor being wary of the kind of parliamentary um kind of well what what your opponents would call games the kind of like teaming up with tory rebels and pulling parliamentary wheezes as kind of paul suggested might might have been the alternative there yeah, definitely. I don't. I don't think the public would have forgiven us if they thought we were playing deliberate sort of party political sort of games with with such an important issue. And you know, look, I think abstaining on something is is never something, especially that's got that much attention. It's a big issue of the day. You know, you have people on both sides. Those who want you to vote against it are, are unhappy. Those who want you to support it are, are unhappy. And and you kind of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I think in the end that was the that was the only choice we were left with because we do support the need for restrictions to continue um, and as Paul said if we had voted against especially with the size of the of the rebellion and so on then they could have easily fall, fallen and and you know we do support restrictions so we couldn't vote against 
Um, but you know, we're deeply unhappy with especially the lack of um, and the ad- inadequate nature of the business support on offer. Um, and that's where we do align with some of the Tory backbenchers who are also calling the, the support for pubs, for example, and hospitality risable um, in the debate, visible, depending how you say it, um, in the debate on, on Monday. And you know, so we, we do align with them there, but we wouldn't want to play party party politics with it. So abstaining means it can go ahead, uh, but but we are putting on the table that we've got some some deep um, reservations with it. And we, we did abstain on the tiering system last time around as well. And we, you know, in general, we have abstained on a lot of these regulations um, to allow them to, to pass, but without us needing to support them. Lucy, how, how, how close do you think um, Labour is to getting this humble address, this idea that you could force the government to publish uh, their own sort of to show they're working in terms of the economic impact. You know, the Times had this story of this dashboard with lots of sectors flashing red, and yet the public haven't seen any of it. Um, I imagine that Tory MPs would like to see that, but I don't know how close you are to to deploying that as a tactic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actively being looked at. We'd have to use um, an opposition day debate to do that, and we've done that before. We don't have one of those next week. Um, there's, you know, in next week's business is all a bit up in the air. I mean, it's been published, but obviously if there's going to be, um, if there's going to be a, a Brexit deal, that could shape next week's business quite quite a bit. We've got the internal markets bill on Monday and so on. So yeah, we'll have to wait for that opportunity to do that. But absolutely, what, what we know is that this, this economic crisis is very much a sectoral uh, crisis. Some sectors have been very, very hard hit, not just the obvious in, in hospitality and the visitor economy, but also aerospace, aviation, automotive, um, you know, some key manufacturing sectors as well. And it's a, a, going to be now a very regional um, you know, economic crisis as well. So I think these are really important um, things to, to, to put on the table, especially because the, the government just seems really reluctant to, to do any kind of sectoral sort of support that, that's necessary, um, notwithstanding that the, the support they've given to the housing market, which now seeing house prices are booming from doing. Um, but that aside, they've, they've really not come forward with any sector support. So, yeah, I think that's being actively pursued, but I don't know on the timing. Yeah. Uh, Lucy, Keir Starmer kind of predicted that at this first review point of the tiers in a couple of weeks that no area would come down from the current tier that they're in. But there are some reports that Manchester's had, that Andy Burnham's had the nod that Manchester could come down to tier two. What What do you think? Well, I, I thought we were borderline the first time around, to be honest. Um, and this is why it's, it's really hard, because although the government say they've got these five criteria, they seem very subjective. There's no actual... Um, numbers put to them. So, what does your rates have? To, what do your rates have to be? What does the rate of increase or decrease need to be? What do your hospitalisation numbers need to be, etc.? They just say that they've got these broad brush measures, and then it does seem quite subjective. So, I think we were borderline when they looked at it last week. I think when you look at the very, very fast and consistent falling in infection rates for a month now, um, I think it's hard to keep us in tier three. I think what I mean, I don't know. Don't forget that in Greater Manchester, you've got nine Conservative MPs, five of whom were elected in the 2019. So we we, we are heavily sort of red wall territory here. Um, So I think there will be a bit of of politics in that. But but I don't know. I think the, the, the 
the worst thing that could happen is that we're told like the day before or something like that because pubs and restaurants and um and, and the hospitality sector can't just switch the lights on the next day you know they need to order the food brew the beer order the beer and all that kind of thing make the um, scotch eggs yeah mate god you know i really fancy a scotch egg at the moment <laughs> all this talk of scotch egg um but uh, I have to put it on my next Sainsbury's order because I can't go out and have a Scotch egg anywhere uh, yet in Manchester. But um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I hope that we're told, you know, with a good bit of notice if that's the case. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet bet my house on on it because I, I think I think the government have now shown that they're, they're, they're being very overcautious about the, the tiering uh, system. And I think that is losing the room a bit really especially in places like greater manchester where where we've been effectively in tier two since july you know yeah, Le- exactly. Le- leicester never even came out of, yeah. of restrictions yeah i think what kiss Starmer was really getting at um when he said made that prediction was actually a lot of those conservatives in tier two areas who are somehow think they're all going to go down to tier one um on december 16th when it's absolutely clear from Chris Whitty what he was saying this week that tier one is basically ineffective. It, 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 you know, it only applies in those cases where you've got very, very low rates. And, you know, the Isle of Wight, the Isles of Scilly, Cornwall, they're all obviously geographically isolated areas. And if you're, you know, surrounded or even near a tier two or tier three area on either side, it's very difficult to get down to tier one. So I think that's that's the point that Keir Starmer was really making. Um, he's probably aware, as, as everyone else, that Greater Manchester will probably come down to tier two. Um, but it's worth pointing out again that tier two is a strong tier two. You know, it's 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 not well, it's like the old tier go, three. Yeah, it's exactly. actually the old tier three. Yeah. People can't go put champagne cork popping just because of the change. <laughs> um, champagne uh, cork uh, popping. Uh, you know, at home or or outside. Um, you know, and I think. That's I think that's why he was quite right to make that a reality. I thought it was quite shrewd move by him tactically to warn Tory Tory MPs. Look, you know, mark my words, you know, he's lying to you again. And I think politically, that's a very important message that you know, lots of people have been you know found through, through throughout Boris Johnson's career that he says one thing and then he doesn't necessarily deliver on it and that's the bigger political message for Labour obviously it's not just for Tory MPs it's for voters you know can you trust a word this man says well and the strategy you know the strategy changes doesn't it you know week, week after week after week and and so on the one hand they were saying well the old tier three was the only tier that actually had an effect um but so instead of putting everyone in tier, in the old tier three which is now the tier two we'll create a new tier four so it didn't really sort of make sense. I think we, we here we could have easily been in, in, in tier two, but I agree with you. I think the vast majority of the country will stay in tier two. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully a few of us will be able to move from tier three to tier two. So at least restaurants can can open and have a bit of trade ahead of Christmas. But it's going to be, you know, one weekend worth of trade. It's not really going to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Lucy, um, we kind of joke there about this Scotch egg thing, but actually, is this quite important that the government can't say what constitutes a substantial meal that would allow a pub to open? Well, I think what it shows is, and, it, and we've been living with it for a long time, I think what it shows is, is where, it, you know, is where there isn't consistency and people don't, can't see, like, why can you do one activity in one um type of uh, environment but you can't do a very similar activity in another because and this is the point the hospitality sector say to me all the time it's table service only 
you can't be indoors with anyone from another household anyway, even in tier, even in tier two. Like, so in those circumstances, what is really the difference of like sitting, um, sitting at a table with your own partner, which is effectively the only person you can go there with really anyway, <laughs> and whether you're either eating a scotched egg or, or you know, sharing a bowl of peanuts or, or having a three course meal. I mean, does, does that really matter? Um, you know, so, so I think I think that's that's where some of these rules have have led to ridicule and have led to people sort of losing confidence in, in how they're drawn up. And, and that is a, that is a problem for the government. And, and it must be almost impossible to enforce as well. Has it been enforced very strictly in Manchester or? Well, in parts of Manchester, I mean, it, it, it has, it was at times sort of a, before the national lockdown, because we have got lots of licensing officers who were there to, to um, you know, look at some of the other rules. And then when they sort of fell away, then they were, all they were left at, they had fewer venues open. So there's more officers monitoring fewer venues with, um, you know, and, and so on, and fewer hours because of the curfew and things. So, yeah, they were, they were popping into... To, to restaurants and pubs that were serving food and checking whether people had food on the table, yeah. And, and I think licensees, you know, that's the thing that we always miss in this. You know, licensees take their responsibilities really seriously. And the worst thing that can happen to their business is that they, they have a black mark against their license. So actually what you see, and that, that's why the government keep turning to the hospitality sector, because it is regulated. So they can pull a lever in Whitehall and it will instantly sort of happen everywhere, unlike what happens in people's homes or in care homes or, or, or other things. So licensees take it very seriously and don't want to run that run that risk. So we actually saw lots of venues who do who can serve food and who do serve food actually just opting to close because it wasn't really worth their worth their while um, because a lot of their trade would be late night so particularly like the gay village in manchester was, has been really hard hit um because of the sorry because of the the curfew and things like that so the, the, the curfew probably had more of an impact on people's business model than um than this substantial meal sort of point really yeah well i look forward to going to my local pub which is serving a new section of its menu just called substantives <laughs> cool but, I, uh, I really want to go and have some food somewhere else. It's been so long. And meet really... someone other than your own family. That's the point, isn't it? I, I mean, I, it's just, you know, sick of the sight of them. Sick of the sight of me. I know that. But, um, you know, the idea of going to a pub with anyone who's not in your family, that you know, as you say, that hasn't been able to happen in Greater Manchester for a long time. Um, no, I know. You know. And, and in fact, the other day I was, do, I was doing an event with Keir Starmer on, on Zoom. So I, I was in the Labour Party HQ at Southside and there were a few of his team were there. So, you know, and it was, the, it was the first time I'd been in an office environment for months. And, you know, I was there for a bit before and a bit after the event. And, you know, I really enjoyed just a bit of office banter, you know, slagging off someone's email, sort of got <laughs> everyone going and, you know, just having those little in-jokes just for the two hours that I was there. I was like, oh, I really missed this. I've forgotten about office banter and sort of, you know, being with other people. <laughs> soon, soon we'll be back to normal. But if a vaccine has put the end of social distancing into sight, at least, Brexit negotiations continue to drag on. With less than a month until the end of the transition period, it really is going down to the wire as the UK and EU continue to argue about the economically minor issue of fish. 
Michel Barnier has indicated that a deal needs to be done this week or the UK faces defaulting to damaging WTO terms for trading with the EU from January the 1st. But Boris Johnson is still optimistic. Let's hear him. On uh, Brexit and, uh, and, and where we are with the negotiations, well, uh, you know, uh, we, we're working, we remain uh, absolutely committed to trying to, to get a deal if we, if we can. I think our friends uh, know the, uh, what the UK... Uh, bottom line is and what people voted for in uh, on June the 23rd uh, 2016 uh, they voted to take back control it's about uh, it's about making sure that the UK is able to uh, to run its own uh, laws its own fisheries and uh, and so on and that's that's fundamentally what it's what it's all about and that's what we're that's what we're, we're all working for. Uh, Paul when we've talked about this we've been relatively optimistic about a deal being reached but this really is coming close to the wire. Could we have yeah. a no-deal default? Well, I still think that they're going to come up with a deal because it's just in both their interests, really, to, to do one. I mean, the very fact that you're talking now, you're now overnight, I think they're talking about the percentage of, of the catch on fishing that the, that the EU has, has come up with a compromise and, you know, the French aren't particularly happy. It all sounds like a classic late-night negotiation, doesn't it, with the pizza boxes out, etc. So I think... Um, you know, without being too cynical, I think it will be done. And there's a lot of sort of willy waving on both sides just to sell it to their own markets afterwards. As we've always said, it's not exactly the deal that matters. It's how people project it to their home market. So as long as the Europeans will be able to say, well, we got what we want. And as long as Johnson will say the same, then I think they'll come up with some kind of compromise. Um, and um, I think but it's worth mentioning again, you know, we're a week on from that spending review and the OBR published its reports on Brexit. And, it, you know, it's a it's a point worth making time and again, because people just forget it, that even without a no deal, even with a deal, you know, the OBR is saying we're going to lose 4% of our GDP over over the medium term. That's a, that's a massive hit to your GDP. As Lucy will tell you, you know, when you when you're, you know, labor in the early two to 2010s or even the late 2000s being told you had a four percent hit to your gdp people would have gone bananas the sheer billions that you lost forever to your economy is massive so even with a deal um it's what it'd be interesting to see politically how that is projected um and how keir starmer and labor actually respond to that because you know at the end of the day that's still not fantastic for the country now obviously the arguments moved on you know it's not as if you can reopen all that stuff but i suspect in the real world and real companies in the new year um over the next year that that thin deal what we used to call a hard brexit will really begin to bite yeah lucy what do you make of what paul was saying there do you think labor will back the deal we kind of know what's going to be in it more or less well, I mean, obviously, we'll have to wait and see um, when that when that comes, uh, and if 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 it comes, indeed. Um, but you know, I think we've been really clear for you know a good while now that we that we want there to be a deal. Um, so you know, we'll have to look at that. Uh, but um, you know, we want there to be a deal. Yeah, are you concerned that? Let's say if you do vote for a deal, that that will mean you can't criticise any of the economic fallout that might result from Brexit afterwards because you you're, you kind of your hands have been dipped in the blood then well not not necessarily so I, d I don't think I mean I think look it's quite a it's a hard position to to say that we wouldn't we, we, we wouldn't support there being a deal because any deal I mean as businesses that I speak to every day will, will tell you is something then to be built upon and I think that's how we would 
that's how we would see it whereas if you the the absolute catastrophe of no deal um not just in terms of that economic catastrophe which it obviously clearly is um but the, the the loss of relationship and the loss of framework then to to then establish what 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 comes in its place um it, the political fallout of that is just so enormous uh that it that you can't build from that so you know i'm sure that the, the the deal that the government will will get wouldn't be the deal that we would get and it wouldn't be the same starting point and it wouldn't be the same end point um but i think having a skinny deal or whatever a kind of basis of future negotiation and relationship building um you know is is very important especially even more so because of the economic crisis and the pandemic that we're in you know businesses really need that certainty so i think it's i think it's quite hard for us to um to 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 oppose that on on that basis and uh, lucy you you obviously um last year you made a name for yourself as, along with stephen kinnett for being in the common market 2.0 group which would was tried to hammer out a compromise a cross-party compromise that around the whole thorny brexit issue uh, it didn't quite work out that way in the end but it did show that there are people like you in the labor party who say look you know we've got to move on from the referendum we've got to accept people voted for it they made their minds up how do we now make it work for britain um and do you think that's generally now that's that although it seemed as a sort of minority view in the party now that that's the mainstream view within the labor party do you think yeah i i do i mean unfortunately because you know my fears and my sort of predictions about that what what that would do to to, to the labor party historic voter coalition sort of came to pass unfortunately and you know it's one of those occasions where i really kind of wish that that wasn't the case you know um so yeah, obviously things have have changed and moved on since that since that general election, and of course, you know we've left since then as well. So we're now we're now no longer in the EU. We're in the we're in the transition period, which is only days away from coming to an end. So the question now for the Labour Party is, what kind of future relationship do we want do we want with the EU? Not a question about whether we should stay in or leave or, or whatever. That 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 moment has gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I I would have preferred that over the last two or three years parliament um you know cross party and you know the labor party as well we, we could have come together to recognize that that sooner that we had to we had to stand by the result of the referendum and 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 look to it to the future outside the eu but you know we are where we are and do you think that lucy actually um unlike the 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 covid restrictions last week and this week that actually this the vote on on this brexit stuff will really really matter to a lot of people in other words it will define labor's position so if if in a lot of areas in the north and midlands if you're seen even to abstain on this that that's seen as look you know two fingers to to former labor voters who voted for brexit you think that's well, the I, real danger I, uh, yeah it is if, if i could if i can be honest with you really yeah and you know, you know, obviously I did that big report on the election as well, the Labour Together Review, which you did with Ed Miliband and Shabana Mood and others. And, you know, these long-term kind of trends in our voter coalition go, go back a long way. It's not just about Brexit, although Brexit was, you know, a, a, a big symbolic um, expression of Labour losing touch with its traditional voter base. Um, and, 
you know, we, we can't keep putting two fingers up to people um, if we want them to, to vote for us again and support us and be, you know, be part of, uh, of, of the, the agenda that we want for the future. So, yeah, and, and I mean, you, you'll remember this probably from the, from the election, which was nearly a year ago, but it was unbelievable because I, I went round loads of the red wall seats during the election campaign how many people on how many doorsteps knew exactly how their Labour MP had voted on all of these um, issues. It didn't matter. Even when I was in Ruth Smead's seat or Gareth Snell's seat, it didn't matter that they had actually rebelled the Labour whip a number of times. People knew all the other times that they'd, uh, you know, they voted to kind of block Brexit, if you like, so to speak, in, in, in their cases. So, you know these votes do 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 carry weight, and people do do watch them. So that that would be what I would um, just, yeah. just sort of urge and, colleagues to think about, really. And abstaining, sitting on the fence, is just not an option, is it, on this one? I I, I don't think so. I think you've got to have a sort of strong position on 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 it, um, even if that is difficult. But obviously, whipping decisions and the decision how we'll vote on it hasn't yet been taken, and it's you know it's above my pay grade. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it's better to sort of be, be be strong on these things. Yeah, yeah. And Lucy, I mean, to just go back a bit in time, I mean, if we look back over the last few years, how big and historic a mistake do you think it was for Labour not to back Theresa May's deal in the hope that they could maybe win a general election and get their own deal through or force a second referendum or something like that? It would have been a much more palatable Brexit than the one that Boris Johnson's offering now. And you might not even have ended up with Boris Johnson as PM. Well, don't, don't forget what Theresa May had on the table was just the withdrawal agreement. So it wasn't, it wasn't this that we're now doing. Boris got his own version of the withdrawal agreement through that wasn't that different from Theresa May's. It, it, um, it did it did de facto put us in a customs union though through the Irish backstop arrangement. Potentially, yeah. I mean it potentially charted a different path for, for, for the future. But look, I mean I think you can you can rake over all these different points from the last sort of few years and say sort of where did where did we where did we get it wrong where did we get it right um you know we, we just have to learn learn from it as a as a, as a collective I mean we, we did lose remain voters as well as leave voters you know trying to navigate that path also um cost of dear so it wasn't just a case of um of respecting the result um in the end because you know we, we had you know I don't know we could probably have a whole other podcast on that, really. But, um, you know, I think there was a moment where we could have got a, a more sort of softer version of, of Brexit. Maybe that I, I would say if, if there was any if there was ever any point, it was maybe the cross party talks sort of summer, really, rather than, than the particular points of voting on Theresa May's meaningful votes. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, at the is. end of the day, we're, we're now heading to a what could be either a Canada-style deal or even an Australia-style deal when we could have really had a Norway-style deal. Don't say Australia-style deal, deal, Paul. <laughs> you know what I mean. But I'm just <laughs> trying to line up the countries. I, I would have thought, I mean, Lucy's Common Market 2.0 was essentially a Norway-style deal. And, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of MPs in that parliament, there was, it seemed to be there was a proper majority for it if it could just been hammered out. But, you know, 
water under the bridge. There, there would there would have been, and there was. There were certainly a lot of conservatives that were in our camp. You know, George Eustace and Rob Halpin, and um, you know, lot, lots of sort of Brexiteer Tories who who liked that EFTA um, style uh, arrangement uh, for, for various reasons. I think by then there was too much kind of energy and focus in the potential of a of a second referendum. Um, which was never really going to happen, and and uh, you know, and, and, and so it was seen as a zero sum game. You know, if you, if you supported one thing, you couldn't support another, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, God, history will write a lot about those sort of couple of horrendous years in Parliament. I think I'm sure, um, and we can all look back and and say we got we got some of it wrong. But I think I think the more sort of pragmatic tone that that you know Labour MPs are taking now, sort of recognising. What happened to us in the in the election last year, you know, is 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 sort of reassuring, really. Um, Lucy, I just wanted to ask you quickly as well because you're you are uh, one of the shadow business ministers, and businesses need to prepare for January the first. Whether there's a deal or no deal, they still have to do I think eighty percent of the preparations. And it's a bit weird when the government says everything will be fine, deal or no deal, but then is kind of desperately telling them all to get ready. Um, how ready do you think they are? And and how difficult do you think it is for them to be ready? It's very difficult for them to be ready. Um, and therefore, they're not particularly ready because they don't know what they're being ready for. You know, it's, it's such a big difference, especially if you're um, you know, a, a business that um, trades in goods with the EU. It's very different arrangement if you're having to arrange for no deal versus really any kind of deal. And then what, what sort of deal? I mean, one of the things that a lot of business people are, are now asking for, and I think even Michael Gove is sort of hinting at, is that there's a, a sort of what's called a period of easement. So kind of once the deal's been um, struck, like a lot of the new arrangements wouldn't come in until later in the year. Um, but that, that gap, you know, it's another way of sort of extending some of the arrangements, but but calling it easements. Um, I, think, I think that would be what, but, but businesses are really worried. They're really worried that they're gonna get blamed for the lack of preparation as well, when it's not their fault, because they how can you prepare for something that you don't know what you're preparing for, um, especially when you're in the middle of, of, you know, the biggest economic crisis we face for 100 years. Yeah, indeed. Well, something to look forward to. We, we might even get a deal today. Let's see. Uh, but for now, it's time for the quiz. Yay! And as more and more good news has come out about vaccines, we've been dragged further and further into metaphor hell at the Downing Street briefings. So this week's quiz is a round of who said it. I'm going to read quotes from the briefings. Oh God! You have to tell me who said it. It's just going to be John Van Tam for all of them, isn't it? <laughs> if it's metaphors. No, I've tried to. I've tried okay. to mix it around a bit, but uh, okay. The first, and, and not the obvious ones either about trains and uh, whatever else. Uh, the first one is: We've seen a swallow, but this is very much not a summer. Please don't relax. Who said it? Oh, was that Hancock? No. Boris. No. Van Tam. It was Van Tam. Okay. Uh, I, knew, I should have yeah. just said Van Tam for all of them. <laughs> yeah. I, cho- I chose one of his more obscure ones, so it would be too easy otherwise. Okay, number two. Uh, we are so nearly out of our captivity. We can see the sunlit upland pastures ahead. But if we try to jump the fence now, we will simply tangle ourselves in the last barbed wire with disastrous consequences for the NHS. Oh, that's Boris, isn't it? Well that's done. His, that's his mail yeah. on Sunday Great Escape nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there were where there were sunlit uplands were near 
prisoner of war camps. I don't know. Anyway, he thinks he's Steve McQueen, basically, <laughs> doesn't he? And he Very ain't. strange. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Final one. This is for the win. You're you're one all at the moment. The light of dawn is on the horizon. It's the moment to stand firm until the morning, so we can look back and see clearly that everything we gave and everything we did. It was not for nothing, but so we could save lives and build back better for everyone. Hancock. That yes, Hancock. well done, yeah. Lucy. Yeah. It had Congratulations. To be, it? Yeah. It was so <laughs> it was so dry and on script, it had to be Hancock, right? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels and please be sure to leave a review. And get your daily dose of what's happening in Westminster by subscribing to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone. We'll just leave you with the debate on COVID tears going on a slightly strange tangent. After the inconsistencies and controversies of the previous tiering system, what was required this time round was more fairness, clarity and transparency. And we were promised a regional approach. However, what uh, the powers of B have done is that they have placed little old Slough in tier three, despite the fact that we have been segregated from the wider region and there are areas in neighbouring London and Essex it, with higher COVID transmission rates. So why does the Prime Minister hate Slough? What, what have we done to, uh, that has annoyed him so much? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I love Slough and uh, I, I, I take that. I, I...